right, welcome back to another episode of the Will Raggett's Show on Purple Insider. I'm Will Raggett's, cover the Vikings for SI.com. And joining me today, I have the honor of being joined by Arif Hassan, um, another member of the beat, covers the Vikings for The Athletic. Uh, Arif, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going pretty well, man. I uh, just got back from Vegas for a friend's bachelor party. So uh, continuing to ride that high, bringing that energy in here, maybe I'll throw out some some hot takes. Probably more successful than uh, my gambling, if I'm going to be completely honest. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. And it's starting to feel like football season a little bit. Um, we're kind of in in that stage of the offseason where you can start to sense the season coming a little bit around the corner. Um, there's OTAs happening right now. The, the schedule came out. Uh, it's not really real football yet. Like there's, there's nobody's hitting anybody. They're not wearing pads. We still got a ways to go some long summer months, but you starting to taste it a little bit. And I want to talk about some of kind of the early storylines that are coming out of OTAs and how much we should maybe buy into them or whether they're not really that useful or interesting at all. Um, and one that kind of popped up uh, in this first OTA practice that was open to reporters was Dalvin Cook being used more as a receiver and uh, even lining up in the slot and some bunch wide receiver right. sets. And um, just in general, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on if the Vikings might actually use Dalvin Cook in more of a hybrid role or or just maybe increase his pass game and, and kind of the variety of it in, in this Kevin O'Connell offense? Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like this is like a classic OTA storyline, right? And it's and it's not so easily recognizable that people don't dismiss it out of hand. It's it's no longer like I'm in the best shape of my life and people just kind of laugh it off. This is the kind of story that always like makes the rounds, right? Especially in fantasy Twitter. They love it. Oh, yeah. I was just on a on a fantasy radio hit today, right? They wanted to talk about that more than anything else. So and and this happens a lot, like it, you know, all over the league, right? Where where you know wide receivers lining up in this slot, and you know, maybe that's or a running backs lining up in the slot, and we're gonna see maybe a lot of snaps for them or a wide receivers running up at uh, running back. And we're going to see, you know, some carries for them. They could be interesting. Um, but you know, like LaVisca Chenault really didn't do much, right. Um, there's only so many Danny Woodheads in the league where you can, you can, you know, rely on them to actually literally line up in the slot and catch passes. But I do think that the Vikings are correct to try and experiment with this sort of thing. Um, I think that Dalvin cook, a lot of people perceive him to be, you know, a running back with a lot of receiving capability and I think that that perception is a little bit overrated based off of what he has done as a receiver. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it's worth trying for sure, because I think that any way that you can get a, a player to add value to the team is, is a way that, um, you know, is going to help the team maximize, you know, their odds of winning. And so I think that this is smart. And I think that generally speaking, even without this news, we would see more targets for Dalvin Cook just because of the nature of the offense that they're going to run. And they trust Dalvin Cook to run good routes and have good hands. Uh, and we've seen some, you know, clips of him doing pretty well, uh, you know, during the regular season, you know, lined up. I think that there's a pretty good third or fourth down clip where he was able to convert down the seam. Uh, and so as a receiver, you know, I'm excited about what he has the capability of doing. And I think that kind of one of the ideal scenarios is the Vikings line up and like 12 personnel, right? They've got, um, you know, two running backs out there. They've got one tight end out there. And then um, they quickly motion and then CJ Ham is lining up at halfback and Dalvin Cook is lining up in the slot. And we know CJ Ham can run the ball. We know that Dalvin Cook, you know, has been lining up in the slot and maybe he can run some routes. And then you've got a defense out there that is 
incapable of dealing with four eligible receivers um, that are lined up along the line of scrimmage. So there are some opportunities there. I think that is a good idea. I just don't want to buy into it too heavily. I don't know that his um, target total would increase substantially more enough to call him a receiving back. Um, It just probably will increase. Yeah. And I don't think it's a storyline that we should just completely run with and say, he's going to be Christian McCaffrey, but uh, I think, I think there's, a few elements to it that, that lead me to believe that it might be um, a, a somewhat serious thing that they're going to incorporate more, whether that's actually having him line up outside of the backfield or just uh, kind of increasing his passing game usage. And, and one, one aspect of that is just that they didn't bring in a ton uh, of talent at the skill positions at, at receiver uh, or at tight end. They're a little bit top heavy there. We don't necessarily know what you're going to get from like a Jalen Naylor or Ty Chandler or some of the later round rookies that they added. So mm-hmm. with, with just a few kind of four, maybe five receivers, depending how you feel about BC Johnson and Amir Smith-Marset. Right, and right. I mean, they really only have like one tight end right now in Irv Smith Jr. They didn't kind of replace Tyler Conklin. They brought in Johnny Munt, um, who's, who's a blocking tight end from the Rams. So that kind of just layout of the roster and the depth chart makes me think that um, using Dalvin Cook more in the passing game uh, might make some sense. And then it, it was funny that Dalvin Cook actually kind of leaned into the buzz a little yeah. bit. He tweeted yeah, out that clip that, yeah. today of him. Uh, I believe it was a third and nine against the Steelers late in that game where he uh, beats a linebacker up the seam and makes a nice play. But so we've I, I want to know if he had that clip handy or, yeah. or if someone sent it to him and he's like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll tweet this out. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll feed into it a little bit. But um, yeah, I think just the versatility that that gives you, it's something you touched on where if you motion him out, then defenses are kind of scrambling and having to adjust to uh, different looks and things like that. So um, we'll, we'll say it's something to maybe keep an eye on, but not to uh, completely run with just yet. Uh, another storyline coming out of OTAs, uh, and everybody wants to ask about the quarterbacks and, and specifically the backup quarterback. And we just, we didn't get a hear a lot from Kellen Mond last year. Uh, there was the big uh, viral Zimmer quote late in the year about like, he's watched him all year. Um, but Kevin O'Connell has had some praise for him. Uh, I don't know how much that is Kellen Mond actually taking strides and becoming a guy who could be the backup quarterback this year. Or if that's just, you're asking a coach about a player and he's, unlike Mike Zimmer, not going to uh, put him down (laughs) publicly and he's going to kind of talk him up. Um, Man, Sean Mannion uh, and Kellen Mond, I I believe we're splitting uh, reps behind Kirk Cousins with the twos. How much do you buy into Kellen Mond's kind of chances and and ability to to be that backup this year that maybe makes Sean Mannion finally disposable? (laughs) Finally, yeah. Disposable, Um, expendable, I think is a better word. (laughs) Not throwing him away, Um, but... I, so I, the roster. I, I would I would say that, um, you know, obviously it's good news that they're they're putting him there to split those backup snaps. Um, but I would say it's also just kind of like, um, you know, there's there's almost zero information that uh, this coaching staff has about Kellen Mond. Right. Like they they could they can ask the receivers coach, you know, all they want. But <laughs> there's only so much information that they'll have on Kellen Mond because he saw three snaps in the regular season and there's not a ton to go over. I'm sure that they would love to go over some practice film, but. If you'll remember, even Vikings practices did not feature Kellen Mond all that much over the course of the season. Not necessarily because uh, Zimmer hates Kellen Mond, but just because you just don't give your third quarterback that many reps. It just doesn't happen. You barely give the second quarterback that many reps. Uh, And so there's just very little for them to go off of. Uh, And so they need to put him on the field. 
Um, we have seen, you know, uh, the Vikings split snaps for the number two and for the number three job in the past. Um, and the player that we thought was going to win the number two and number three job ended up winning it. Right. And so, I, again, I don't want to buy into this too much, but it is nice to see that um, there's that opportunity available for Mond and that if he, you know, has genuinely progressed you that he'll be able to take it. Um, you know, one of the things that that, you know, a lot of people asked me at the end of last year was whether or not you know, people should be out on Kellen Mond based off of kind of all, all that happened and what Zimmer said and, you know, how few opportunities that he had. And I told them, you know, hey, Kellen Mond didn't do anything to make his case for him. He didn't demonstrate that he deserved to be the number two. That's not a negative. It's just lacking a positive. He's a rookie quarterback that didn't get that many reps. And so um, a lot of quarterbacks, especially, you know, quarterbacks in kind of the middle rounds will make their biggest jump between year one and year two. And so this is kind of where we're going to see if Kellen Mond has adapted to the speed of the game, if Kellen Mond has figured out what he needs to from a protection standpoint, from a progression standpoint, and so on. If he's figured all that out, this is where we're going to see it. Um, I think the real storyline is going to be uh, the first day of training camp. If he is splitting mm-hmm. snaps at the twos after all the OTAs are over, that's, I think, a little bit spicier. I think that's a little bit more interesting. But here we've got a coaching staff that knows nothing about Kellen Mond aside from what they scouted um, way back, you know, two years ago. Uh, and so they don't know about him as a professional aside from some Zoom calls. And so I think they're just trying to learn as much as they can. And if he's good enough to be a backup quarterback, that's phenomenal news, both for uh, the coaching staff, just in terms of having a young player with upside to work with and the front office staff, because now you can save a little bit of money. It's a third round rookie contract. Yeah. I I think, like you said, this is a big year for Kellen Mond. It's been a long time since uh, we saw him play in the preseason um, last year. It had some decent moments in that, that final chiefs game. I remember, but looked really raw. So I agree that, yeah, just get him on the field, see what you have in him. Uh, and that'll be something that, to continue to watch into training camp as well. Uh, and then uh, something that we always talk about around the Vikings kind of endlessly is the offensive line. And um, there was a lot of people reacting to, um, and this, this wasn't new just from OTAs. This has been kind of uh, consistent with what Kevin O'Connell has said throughout the off season with, with Garrett Bradbury specifically that, um, he's their center and, and they didn't pick up the fifth round, the fifth year option on him, but he still kind of seems unchallenged, um, at that center job so far, which I think some fans kind of don't really understand when you look at the PFF pass blocking grades and he's dead last and dead last and maybe second to dead last with only Pat Elfline behind him in one, in another year. So, um, <laughs> Uh, so at OTAs, he kind of was running unopposed with the ones um, Austin Schlotman's maybe was maybe the backup. But um, what, what do you think about the approach with Bradbury and, and kind of the the dichotomy, I guess, or the juxtaposition? Like we're, we don't believe in you enough to pick up your fifth year option, but you're probably still the best center on the roster right now. So you got to be you're entering this offseason portion of the of the year as the favorite to keep that job for at least one more year. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of thoughts. The first is that the Vikings didn't bring in a center, right? So, like, who who was going to take his snaps anyway, right? Um, I think Chris Reed. I, I don't. There's gonna I, if anything, you're gonna convert a guard there, maybe. But right, um, and and that's and that's really tough, right? Because you're asking a guard to. Um, I mean, probably all of these guys have snapped at some point in their careers, but there's a big difference between snapping as a part of practice and snapping in games and to get 
your arm out and your elbow tucked in and to get all of that to have that kind of hand speed and the awareness to call protection. I mean, center is just a tough job. As Garrett Bradbury can tell you, center is an extremely tough job in the NFL. Um, And it is also not a super well-paying job at the same time. Uh, And so I can't imagine there are too many guards that are clamoring to play center either. Uh, And so there's just all of this kind of putting Bradbury in a spot to, you know, sink or swim uh, that has made it basically impossible for the Vikings to say, yeah, we've got a new center. It's this guy. We love this guy. This new guy here is our center. There's no, there's none of that. Right. Uh, and so they have to commit to Garrett Bradbury. It's not about building up his confidence. It's about stating kind of the reality is that, Hey, this is a guy who's our center. And then there's an opportunity here too, because um, you know, Bradbury on paper is ideally the kind of center that would succeed in this kind of system. You know, you compare him to somebody like Austin Blythe, you know, a ramp center, right? It's it's very similar, right? Really great short shuttle scores, really great athleticism, great movement in zone. It is a slightly different run blocking scheme, um, as I'm sure Kevin O'Connell has like pointed out a couple of times. Um, both to kind of his excitement and also, I imagine, frustration at points about how there are slight, you know, subtle differences in technical, um, you know, execution in terms of how you run this version of the wide zone, which he calls the mid zone. Um, And that plus a new offensive line coaching staff could give somebody with Bradbury's profile, um, you know, an opportunity to kind of revive his career uh, in a system that is built for him. Now, obviously, the last system was built for him. That's why they drafted him. But um, you know, with the coaching staff that has had success, uh, you know, turning some of these undersized centers into really effective players, you know, there's an opportunity for him to actually earn an extension or something along those lines. So there is that on top of that. Now, I don't think that this is likely, right? But I do think that it is not just doom and gloom. I don't think that it is the most likely thing in the world either that Bradbury continues um, his pace as like the worst center in the NFL only to be succeeded by his predecessor, Pat Elfline, also former Viking center. So um, th- there are some problems here, and it's just there's only so many holes you can fill in one offseason, and I think that's where the Vikings are, right? The Vikings saw they don't have a starting guard, so they brought in some help to, to compete at starting guard. They don't have very much offensive line depth, so they brought in offensive line depth. They didn't have you know, starting corners. So they brought in starting corners. They didn't have backup corners. They brought in some backup corners. Um, you know, th- there was only so many places they needed an edge rusher. They brought an edge rusher. Only so many places you can address in one off season. And it turns out center was just not the area where they were going to do that. Um, d- does he have upside a little bit? Do I bank on it? No, maybe that's just a next year problem. Yeah. And the off season is not like completely and utterly over. There are still free agents right, out yeah. there. But I will say as kind of a general PSA, um, there are a lot of Vikings fans I know that want to uh, want to see the Vikings sign J.C. Treader, who is still out there. And I, I would just caution people that, A, the Vikings do not have very much cap space uh, functionally. <laughs> and B, like maybe there's a reason why J.C. Treader is still out right. there and isn't yeah. like just a guaranteed all pro shoe in if you sign him. Um, so I, I would just say that, that it'll be interesting to see. Um, how Bradbury does. And I, this coaching staff isn't just going to like hand him that job. If, if he's getting blown back by big defensive linemen all throughout practice and in training camp, like they'll probably explore other options, but um, with what he can do as a run blocker with the, the command he has of, of kind of the protection and, and kind of IDing things and sliding protections, all the, all the stuff that centers have to do. There are a lot of those things he's good at. It's just, the kind of inability to anchor that has really 
hurt him. But uh, that'll be interesting to see going forward. And then uh, at, at guard, the Vikings brought in a couple of guys. They had Chris Reed uh, and, and Jesse Davis, the two veterans rotating with the ones Ed Ingram, the rookie uh, behind Wyatt Davis seems to be kind of buried there. And um, we touched on Kellen Mond, but this is an interesting year for all of the third round picks that the Vikings made last year. There was four of them and uh, only one of them, Patrick Jones actually really saw the field at all and wasn't particularly effective, but he was a rookie and he didn't play a whole lot. But um, with Wyatt Davis, I mean, Chaz Surratt is the a linebacker who there's now a, a seemingly a lot of competition at linebacker with Brian Asamoah coming in. Um, I, this started out as kind of, I was going to ask you about Wyatt Davis, but are there any of those other three third round picks other than Mond um, that you see maybe having the best or the worst chance to uh, kind of emerge in their second season? Uh, I think that Wyatt Davis is the most, maybe not interesting, but the, it's the most, we have more information about him than we do any of these, including Patrick Jones, who actually saw the field. And the reason for that is there is an open competition for right guard. And Wyatt Davis could not rotate in, right? And so for whatever reason, the coaching staff would rather have had Chris Reed and Jesse Davis in, who admittedly they have a little bit more information about, right? But Wyatt Davis is not Ed Ingram, right? Ed Ingram is a rookie. He's got a lot to learn before they can trust him to put him up there and not screw up the few reps that they have out there in OTAs by not knowing what's happening. Wyatt Davis should know what's happening, right? Um, he knows just as much about the system as Jesse Davis does, right? Now, maybe Jesse Davis is a veteran and he's played a bunch of positions and, you know, he has experience in the NFL and that helps. But Wyatt Davis, as a second-year player, should immediately be able to slot in and compete as a starting guard. And the fact that he's not doing that, I think, tells us a lot. Ed Ingram, I think that that doesn't tell us very much. He's a rookie. Now, those other guys, you know, we talk about Kelamont. He's already competing for a, a spot, right? So, that tells us something right there that he's not so far, but he's not Wyatt Davis levels of behind right now. The problem with, uh, you know, Chasserat, the problem with Patrick Jones is that there's already a, a starter, right? You don't want Jordan Hicks to be out there and then Chasserat to slot in though. You sign Jordan Hicks to be a starter, right? You sign Darius Smith to be a starter. You're not asking Patrick Jones to come in and out compete to Darius Smith, give Smith as many reps out there as possible. So we're learning less about those players. Now, unless, you know, we hear about Chasserat, the outside linebacker, which uh, we saw a little bit of, of um, discussion about, I'll say on Vikings Twitter, which, you know, I think is pretty unlikely. Um, I think that Surratt is going to be buried under the depth chart as a competitor for a special team spot and a backup spot alongside, you know, Brian Osmoa, the rookie that they brought in, um, as well as Troy Dye and Blake Lynch. Blake Lynch, who ended up, I think, being ahead of whatever constitutes last year's depth chart for uh, all of those linebackers, as well as Ryan Connolly, who's a well-known, you know, good special teamer and a run thumper. Uh, and should be able to succeed at least in a three, four system in some respects, even if he's not a huge coverage guy. Um, You know, there's a ton of backup linebackers, like you said. So there's just not going to be a ton of space available for Chaz Surratt to flex his muscles, especially if you didn't get that many special teams, or I think any special team snaps last year, Patrick Jones, I think is kind of in between, you know, where Kellen Mond Mm -hmm. and Chaz Surratt are in terms of his ability to compete. And I think that he is probably, you know, a favorite alongside DJ Wanham to be, you know, the, the backup edge rusher, but I, I'm certain that there's going to be, you know, some, some interesting and healthy competition there as well. Yeah. Kevin O'Connell was asked um, about kind of 
having a lot of players who were drafted last year who didn't play a lot and how that um, how, what the evaluation process is like with that. Cause it's almost like they have this rookie class that they drafted and then uh, they have another rookie class <laughs> another from rookie, last year basically, that, yeah. that they know basically the same amount about. Um, and, right, and especially with players like Jalen Twyman who yeah. couldn't even practice, right? He, yeah. Janarius even... Robinson didn't play at all last right. year. Um, so they, there's a lot of guys that, uh, I mean, they didn't like scout necessarily super hard in the pre-draft process because they weren't the ones who selected them. But um, I imagine that's been an inter- interesting part of the, uh, the early period here of, of them learning the roster and just studying um, all, w- when they were preparing for the draft, not only doing that, but also studying who are some of the guys on the back end of this roster who might have something projectable um, to where they could become a factor here. And it kind of leads into another thing that I wanted to ask you about and, and discuss. And um, one of the most interesting things for me to watch this off season, whether it's OTAs um, heading into training camp, is kind of how the new coaching staff and, and these new schemes will impact various players and uh, how, how players will fit and how maybe roles could change. And we touched on like a Dalvin cook and if he could be used in different ways. Um, you mentioned that the offensive line, um, the, the running game is going to be a little bit different. It's not pure wide zone. Um, it's the mid zone where there might be that, that might ask different things of, of offensive linemen. But uh, what I want to get to is, is, on the defensive side. And I think this is a really fascinating thing where the Vikings have run this four, three defense under Mike Zimmer for such a long time. And even before Mike Zimmer, this has been a four, three team forever. Um, They're going to a three, four with, with Ed Donatel, who's run this, this Vic Fangio, Brandon Staley defense for a long time as well. Um, And I'm curious how like the different pieces that the Vikings have on the roster, interior defensive linemen, edge rushers, outside linebackers, inside line, like how all those pieces fit um, and how different it really will be when you consider that uh, this is something they've touched on, that nickel is basically the base defense. So you're not going to have a true three, four with three interior defensive linemen on the field all that often. Um, I guess that's a broad question, but is there something that kind of stands out to you um, when you think about like the edge rushers and whether they're defensive ends or outside linebackers and, and just all the, all the ways that the different pieces are going to fit together on the defensive line and the front seven uh, is still the traditional term people use and, and how it's different now with this new scheme. Yeah. Um, yeah there, there's a couple of things to kind of touch or, or to note. Um, the one is that, you know, in either scenario that there's going to be basically two linebackers unless there's a unique sub package. So um, in the 4-3 defense, that was primarily nickel, so you only saw two linebackers on the field most of the time. There was still a sub-package linebacker that got in for about 200 snaps, right? Uh, and, you know, sometimes that was somebody like, uh, you know, Gideon, Eric, right? Eric was, Wilson. Or, or Eric yeah. Wilson, right. Uh, ben Gideon was probably one of the best examples in terms of what he was asked to do and how he succeeded. Unfortunately, concussions held back his career. Eric Wilson was more on the coverage side of it, which is not really the best fit for that particular role. Uh, and so that thing that made things a little bit more difficult on his end. Um, but, you know, for the most part, um, that's not really going to be what we see. Right. It's going to be kind of a, a, a two, two, four, essentially, right. Two outside linebackers, two um, interior defenders and two linebackers um, in the nickel, or you're going to have a base defense of a three, four, where, um, you know, you've got those three interior defenders and then two edge rushers. One of those edge rushers might drop back into coverage every so often, which I'm confident will make Vikings fans mad, but is going to be an important part of how that defense operates. It's just going to have to happen. I'm sorry. Um, and, and so, 
you know, when that happens or, or when those things happen, um, that means that, you know, you're probably going to need a little bit more in terms of your depth along the interior offensive line and just a tad bit more with your depth along, you know, the edge rushers and a little bit less potentially depth along those linebackers and, and kind of, you know, what's asked of them. And then from a technical perspective, this does change things for what's asked of the interior defensive lineman, right? In terms of your ability to hold a gap, you might actually only be asked to um, control a person instead of instead of a gap and instead of shooting gaps uh, to control where you are on the line of scrimmage on some place. And that requires a different skill set and a different type of athletic set of skills, right? Um, it, it does change what's being asked of edge rushers. You're going to have to be able to drop backwards a little bit. You know, it's not going to be your primary job. It changes what's going to be asked of interior uh, or inside linebackers, right? Because you are going to have probably a little bit more cleaned up in front of you. And so your athleticism is going to be a little bit more important than your ability to come off of blocks and your ability to diagnose is going to be a little bit more important instead of being able to kind of follow. And so um, those are going to change what's required of those players. And and it's going to be a little bit bit of a learning curve for some of them rather than others. But I think kind of the biggest changes will come on the back end in terms of what's being asked of those cornerbacks, because they're still going to be playing, you know, a, a match zone style scheme where their zone assignments will change depending on how those routes play out mid play, but what those rules are, how those rules operate, what the defaults of those rules are, the amount of space they'll be asked to cover, how those pair with the blitzes, all of those will be very different. Uh, And sometimes that's going to require a little bit more uh, in terms of speed and length. And sometimes it's going to require a little bit less, but I imagine, you know, having quickness at outside corner is not going to matter a lot more than it used to matter because those corners might be following people a little bit more than they used to in the scheme. Right. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, with the way that, you know, cover six and cover four work on the back end, you're going to need to have corners that have a little bit more range. Right. And so from that perspective, things are going to change even outside of the front seven, but it's the coverage. I think that's going to change the defense a little bit more, even though the front is going to look radically different to Vikings fans. I think what's going to change uh, functionally and is going to matter more in its changes is what the back, which is going to look the same, but operate a little bit differently. Well, yeah, I want to ask you about that a little bit more because you had a couple of great breakdowns on the athletic um, of, of the Vikings top two picks, Lewis scene and Andrew Booth. And um, I know you touched on this in, in those pieces, but um, I'm wondering if you can just explain a little bit about like when you're studying the film of those players and looking into uh, who they are as, as on the field and, and their skill sets, um, how does how does that kind of fit? And, and, and what, what does that tell you about this defense and what the Vikings are prioritizing, given that they went after a specific type of safety in Lewisine and they targeted a specific type of corner in Andrew Booth and to a lesser extent, a Caleb Evans in the fourth round. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that they, A, prioritize safety as highly as they did and, and B, chose a safety that is at least on film, extraordinarily versatile tells us that those safeties are going to have to do a lot in that defense. And that's not necessarily always the case, right? Like Jamal Adams and Landon Collins, for example, are both highly invested safeties that, that, that teams both in New York spent a lot in terms of draft capital on in order to get, and it told us, they really like those box safeties that hit hard. that don't line up too far away from the line of scrimmage that have the ability to blitz. Now, Lenny Collins ended up being able to do quite a bit more than that, but in terms of what his draft profile was, you know, it, it tells us that they like having a strong safety that might play something kind of similar to the cam chancellor role. Right. Um, or if a team is kind of waiting on safeties in the draft and they, and they wait, um, to grab one of those styles of safeties, it tells us that safety is less important for them. It's not going to be a big part of how they run the coverages to the front. Uh, and, and safeties have to, you know, 
fill and spill more than they have to be an active component of the run game or the coverage game. They're going to, you know, not define how that defense operates, but they're going to supplement how that defense operates. Right. Uh, and, and the Vikings decided instead, we're going to get a guy that's, that's really good at defending the run. We're going to get a guy that's really good in coverage, which means we have to spend up. We have to make sure because those guys are rare. We have to spend a first or second round pick on that guy. And we have to notice on the film kind of all of these things that he's asked to do. So when I was watching Lewis scene, these kind of, jumped out at me right so the vikings for example they're going to look like they're in cover two at the beginning of every snap it's one thing that you know you can tell from the staley defenses and the and the denver defenses you know what they've done right is they've started out a lot of these snaps in cover two and then the safeties rotate and that requires a baseline level of athleticism from every safety that the vikings are going to field because if you don't get to rotate until the snap happens you need to get to your landmark really quickly Right. In order for the disguise to work, uh, a good kind of rule of thumb is basically that the more you disguise, the more the players are going to have to make up for the fact that they're not where they're supposed to be by the time the snap starts, which means you need more athleticism. Mm-hmm. So the Vikings need to prioritize that athleticism at safety. And what's really remarkable for, for like, let's say, Lucina, Georgia, is that he had to play a lot of snaps where they started out at cover two. And they ended up playing cover three or cover one. Right. Where he had to drop into the box as a box guy or he had to, you know, get out into the post. What's really cool about him watching him play is you could really tell that he had a really good understanding of what the offense wanted to do. And it wasn't just because he was good at film study. It's very clear that he's good at film study, but it wasn't just because of that. He had a remarkable instinct for figuring out what they were going to do for a play that they hadn't even put on film yet. Right. And so we saw this in the Michigan playoff game where he was able to take away a post route on a route where on a play where Michigan ran all the same routes that they usually do, but they only ever threw the screen, the smoke screen to the underneath receiver that was bubbling over, right. And has a free blocker and wants to go over the middle. And if they throw that and a safety is bailing out to go deep in the center, there's tons of room available for this guy. It's going to be a great, you know, 15 yard gain on second and 18. That's what a huge mistake from the free safety. What are you doing? And instead Lewisine takes away the post route. And now, um, you know, the quarterback looks, he doesn't see anything. I almost called him Shea Patterson. Looks, he doesn't see anything. Um, and he has to scramble and it ends up becoming um, like a one or two yard gain on a scramble. Um, you know, and, and that that kind of example showed up on film again and again, both Alabama games, for example, we saw that. Um, we saw that against uh, LSU. We saw that um, in, in a bunch of places we're seeing, knows that something is coming from a play that that team had not run before, but he knew kind of the natural response or the evolution of what that was going to be and what that was going to look like and took that away. So clearly diagnosis is really important to the Vikings. And that might be why the Cowboys had him, you know, as their 13th best player overall, right? Um, It's a little bit different than the public work that we had. And then for Booth, it was just somebody, I think Booth is a a guy that might need a little bit more work than um, a lot of the scouting reports would kind of indicate but he is extraordinarily technically skilled. So I can see why people say he's ready to play on day one, because as a technician, he's remarkably well-developed and he's he's super athletic. Yeah. If when he's healthy, right. That's the other part. Um, But he's a super athlete. He's super technically refined. And like 90% of the time um, when you're not a quarterback, that's wow. We're good. Play him right away. But he does have some awareness of recognition issues. Now from a, from a ball awareness perspective, once the ball is in the air, he's phenomenal. He's got great, awareness but sometimes he can break down a little bit in terms of the way the routes are going and so he just needs to learn a little bit more there um someone told me that um you know there's some concern about his ability to just kind of see all the way into what the quarterback is doing and and uh, 
and, and have an understanding of kind of what, how those routes are developing based off of where the quarterback's progression is. And that's just going to have to be cleaned up. I don't know, but um, yeah, I mean, he's remarkably ready, but obviously the issue for him is, is health because I, I watch, you know, you know, these games that he plays, um, you know, against, you know, first round quarterbacks in the ACC, right. Um, or I guess not actually first round quarterbacks, but purported first round quarterbacks in the ACC. Um, and, and I, I see him, playing him like a fiddle, right? I see him doing really well. Mm-hmm. And you see a first round pick. And I think it is unquestionable that he would have been a first round pick were it not for the litany of injuries. So for me, a lot of my time writing that scouting report was was uh was putting on um a doctor's coat and and learning on the internet how to do medicine, which um I'm now <laughs> fully qualified to do and am happy to perform surgery uh for anybody who does not care that much about how clean the clean room is. This is good to know if I need a some medical advice or even a procedure. Yeah. I'll, I'll charge you way less than, uh, than I would, I would hope so with your, with your lack of experience that it wouldn't be quite as expensive. (laughs) I'll build up to it. I'll build up to it. Um, No, but that, that's interesting. And it's going to be kind of cool to see how, like how Kevin O'Connell as a head coach is able to not only coach on the offensive side of the ball, but, uh, is able to coach up defensive players. This is something that Eric Hendricks talked about today that um, uh, he's just got, kind of from being around Kevin O'Connell a little bit, he's he's found that perspective that he has of being the offensive guy and, and telling them different keys um, that, that they see from the offensive perspective and like things like um, when you're dropping into coverage, like don't just look at the the player you're covering or, or the, the pieces like that. Like look at the quarterback, look at his drop and, and um, just things like that. And I mentioned that because, um, I, I wonder how much like that perspective will be able to help people like Andrew Booth uh, and, and Lewis Seen, and just um, obviously the Vikings have a lot of great defensive coaches as well. But um, that was something that kind of stood out to me from hearing Eric Kendricks talk today as well. Uh, and I, w- I want to go back a little bit to the kind of front seven personnel um, that uh, you mentioned that a lot of the the different responsibilities are going to come on the back end, but. Um, things are going to be different up front. They're going to look different. Um, and I, I'm just curious, like how we feel about the Vikings personnel up front, because they have um, Dalvin Tomlinson still, they, they replaced Michael Pierce, Michael Pierce with Harrison Phillips. Um, they have Armand Watts as the guy who can kind of slide in when you're just playing a base with three um, interior defensive linemen. He's kind of just a serviceable guy. Um, they didn't bring back Sheldon Richardson. Um, but then at the edge, you've got potentially if, if healthy, I, what I think could be one of the best edge rusher duos in the NFL. I mean, 2019 it, on the one hand is not that long ago. On the other hand, kind of is that feels right. like that was like pre pandemic. That feels like forever ago. Right. Um, they were one, two in the NFL and pressures, uh, Smith and Hunter. Um, so like the star power is there. Um, the depth at edge is interesting to me. Uh, DJ Wanham, like had eight sacks last year, but has don't really, do that, don't do I know, no, I'm not doing, I'm just saying like, <laughs> if, if you were strictly looking at the numbers, you're like, Oh, DJ want him at eight sacks. Like he needs to play a lot. Those are all basically more or less like coverage sacks or unblocked yeah. sacks. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think he nature. produced maybe one of them, but yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they've got Patrick Jones who played like a hundred snaps last year. Janaris Robinson was a fourth round pick. Who's coming back. Uh, even Kenny Willekes like had some some flashes. Every, on tape. Everybody loves Kenny Willekes. 
Oh yeah. I, I tweeted out a uh, like clip of his best plays from the Ravens game last year and people were all in on, on Kenny Willekes, but like he's like a serviceable depth no, guy sure. yeah. at, at the edge um, and linebacker wise, there's you've got Hicks and Kendricks who are going to be your every down player. I, your every down players. I think there's an argument to be made that Hicks maybe could be an upgrade from like Anthony Barr, the 2021 Anthony Barr, whose knees maybe aren't fully uh, all the way there. Probably not an upgrade from like 2017 Anthony Barr. But um, then you bring in Brian Asamoa, the the rookie that they took early in the third round, which to me kind of is it was notable because of the the shift that it signals. Like mm-hmm. I was out, at, we were, I was out at rookie mini camp, and um, Brian Asamoa is standing next to Lewis Seen. He's like smaller than him. Like he doesn't he doesn't look like a linebacker. He's not your grandfather's linebacker. He's not even right. he's not even a Ben Gideon linebacker where he's like this big <laughs> downhill run fitting guy. And and I mean he's able to play against the run because he's really fast. And um, has that acceleration that the Vikings prioritize so much with every single player they drafted, seemingly having like a 99th percentile 10 yard split in the 40. Um, but uh, also at linebacker, I mean, Chas Surratt, Troy Dye, Blake Lynch, like um, how, how do you feel kind of about the personnel that they have at those various spots up front and, and how um, it might look this year when in, in this scheme? Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about uh, interior pass rushing. Um, you know, I, I mean, I like Harrison Phillips. I think that he and Dalvin Tomlinson are maybe a little bit redundant, um, you know, just in terms of their skill sets and, and the fact that you're probably not going to have, you know, every snap in the world is not going to have three defensive linemen out there, right? And those two guys are probably going to rotate in a little bit more often than otherwise. Like you said, Armin Watts is probably your um, pass rushing guy. Is probably going to be out there on third downs, but. Um, the Vikings kind of uh, have developed him in a way where maybe that's no longer going to be an enormous skill set of his because he's been such a hybrid nose tackle three technique, which is pretty good training for a three, four, but it doesn't really give you the most confidence in the world that he's got some of the pass rushing ability that he showed in his final year at Arkansas. Right. And so I'm a little bit worried. It would be nice to see, you know, a little bit of interior pass rushing, not, you know, they don't necessarily have to find a way to replicate Aaron Donald, although they do have somebody who fashions himself as Aaron Donald on the roster. Jalen Twyman, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. Who knows? That's his, right? that's his, year, uh, that's right? his mentor. At, yeah. At it's his hero, man. That's who you model. Aaron Donald also wasn't drafted in the uh, sixth or seventh round, but uh, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> I, I will admit that they are not one-to-one. But, well, that's but, an interesting thing. Just to interrupt you real quick. Like sure. you can't draft every position of need or like, every luxury position that you could use on your roster with however many picks you have. But I thought that that was when we're heading into the draft, like that was something that made a lot of sense. I thought to add some interior pass rush juice, like Logan Hall from Houston. I, mm-hmm. I was, I thought was, would have been an interesting fit. And then he goes or the, uh, the um, Kentucky one guy pick that before they were or outside, you know, Josh yeah, pa- pass Pascal or pass, however you pronounce that. Sure. Yeah. There were a lot of um, interesting players like that with different skill sets. I mean, Jordan Davis and, and Devontae Wyatt are like the first round kind of caliber guys there. And there are a few others, but um, that was something they didn't really address at all. Um, so that leaves it being kind of a question mark still, as you've, mm-hmm. as you've alluded to. So, yeah, so I've got a concern there. Um, maybe Jalen Twyman can, can kind of demonstrate what made him such an interesting prospect two years ago before he took the season off. 
um, and uh, probably built his body in a way that was really unfortunate for his long-term prospects, um, you know, focusing on strength more than quickness. Um, but, you know, it, I mean, which is nice. There's a little bit of upside. And I think everywhere else, that linebacker and edge rusher, as you alluded to, there is a lot of untapped potential that for any individual player, you would argue the odds are not high that they'll turn into a very good player or even maybe even reasonable depth, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think, for example, that your team is in a good shape if DJ Wanham is your third edge rusher. As, as, as nice as those sack numbers are, I think that the Vikings could do better, right? And I think most teams do do better, right? And so that's kind of um, the area they're at. Individually, none of these players seem like they'll be good. But I think in the aggregate, you could argue they've given themselves a chance for one of these unlikely long shots to turn into somebody that numbers game reasonable. Right, exactly. You throw enough darts at a dartboard. Uh, maybe you don't hit a bullseye, but you're going to hit some high value points, um, which, you know, the bullseye is not as important to darts as, as everyone makes it out to be. So let's let's calm down on that. But also, uh, you know, if if hey, if if this coaching staff can actually develop Troy Dye into somebody that looked a little bit like what he was in Oregon. Fantastic. That's going to be such a great you know, piece of depth to have available uh, and somebody that can, you know, be really effective on special teams. If the coaching staff can say, Hey, you know, Junarius Robinson, um, you know, you, you didn't get to play last year. You were injured. That's really unfortunate. Um, but, you know, we really trust our defensive line coach. We think that he can help you in these ways, just do this, this, and this. And, you know, he could be, you know, somebody that is, you know, maybe a little bit better than a Fadi Adenabo was a couple of years ago for the Vikings when he was an edge runner instead of a defensive tackle. You know, I thought that that was reasonable depth for the Vikings to have. Um, and so you could turn one of these guys into a pretty reasonable player. They have a lot of athletic upside. I mean, the Vikings have that basically everywhere. Um, they have a, a really quick trigger, like you said, like Brian Osmo's 10 split. Um, I believe, you know, uh, you know, Troy Dye and Blake Lynch have better 10 splits than the 40s and Troy Dye. Um, yeah, I don't think Troy Dye ran a 40, but I think from like the spring numbers his junior year or Oregon or something like that, we're not bad. Um, you know, these are guys that are known to be pretty good athletes that can turn some of that into getting to where they need to be really, really quickly. And so they've got a roster that's built to maybe take advantage of upside. If, if one of these players blossoms and they've, they've put so many players out there, they've gathered so many of such of those players that one of them could blossom. Uh, and so I think you're in an intriguing spot, but I would still be worried, right? I mean, last year, Zimmer said outright, the team is top heavy, right? It's just, mm-hmm. we don't have very much depth anywhere. And uh, and then, you know, the team, like any other team in the NFL, took some injuries, and especially on the defense. And uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't turn out well. The Vikings have more depth this year than I think they did last year, but it's still a top heavy team to me. And so unless one of these players really blows it up, really, you know, turns in, you know, their development is the second, third, or in the case of somebody, I think like Troy died, this is his fourth year. Um, you know, it, it, somebody turns in a, a big leap forward in development as a result of being in a new system and a new coaching staff. Um, you're in a spot where the prospects are not too bright for one of these players to, to, to be great, but they, they do have um, a lot of, a lot of tickets that they've bought. Um, so maybe they'll hit the lottery in one of them. Yeah. And that's kind of the fun part of the off season and, yeah. and training camp. And it's just like tracking those, those tickets and who's going to step up and, and maybe push somebody that they brought in and projected as a starter for their job. Just seeing kind of which players from that group of the last several draft classes, not only the rookies this year, but uh, players who didn't see the field much last year, even like the 2020 guys, James Lynch and, and Troy Dye and um, all of the the players that, 
have had some potential and maybe haven't realized it yet? Can they unlock that with a new coaching staff and new, new position coaches, new coordinators, new scheme and new responsibilities? It's that's kind of just the fun part of this off season where it's not, we're not doing the same thing that we had been doing every year and um, coming into another Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer season. And um, like talking about just, Oh, maybe this is the year that these things happen. Like there's, there's different ta- like tangible um, schematic things um, that, that are going to be a big part of this off season and this season that are, it's just going to be um, really fun for, for, us covering this team and, and for the fans uh, watching this team and trying to get some optimism to, to track it. And um, yeah, this is, this has been great. I love diving into kind of the depth of, of this stuff and um, really appreciate you, you coming on the show. Any, anything you want to uh, get off your chest before we wrap up here? <laughs> uh, nothing that I've, uh, I've held close to the chest this, uh, this early in the off season, maybe later on, I'll, uh, I'll have something to rant about and, and have a final parting shot. But uh, instead, I'll just ask people to follow me on Twitter at Arifasan NFL uh, or uh, follow my and Chad's work over at theathletictheathletic.com slash author slash Arif dash Hassan or Chad Graff, you know, just fill in the author page. It's pretty intuitive. Um, but that's yeah, or just go about. to the athletic and then the NFL and then all the teams pop up and you just click. Yeah, like you got every team. All you got every team. Yeah, you guys do great work, and um, I'd love to have you on the show again sometime uh, this summer. Let's do it. Thanks for coming on.